afternoon. One of the greatest joys of being a part of a team is that you get to wear the jersey. I look through all of my old pictures, pictures of when I was a kid, and littered throughout those pictures are pictures of me proudly wearing my team jersey, whether it was a, a football team or a basketball team, a team from school or team just made up of friends. Every kid treasures the team jersey. Even adults treasure the jerseys of their favorite teams. World-famous football clubs sell millions of team jerseys with the most famous players' names on the back so that millions of fans and supporters can feel like they're a part of the team. I have some of those jerseys. I'm sure you do too. The jersey marks you off as one of the team. When people see that jersey, they know he's a part of that team, he supports that team, or she's a part of that team. When you wear the jersey, it means that you're a beneficiary of all that the team represents, all that the team offers, but it also represents that you have responsibilities. In Abram, God was promising to create a new covenanted community under his leadership, under his lordship, a nation of people that would represent him on earth. There were spectacular privileges, but there were also serious responsibilities. And today we're going to see how God would mark off his covenant community, give them the team jersey, so to speak, so that all the world would know where his people's allegiance lay. If your allegiance is with God, the God of the Bible, he wants to mark you off as belonging to him as well. And today we're going to find out how. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. We're making our way through it. We're making our way through the life of Abram right now in the book of Genesis. Each week there's been a new twist or a turn in this true story of the man whom the book of Hebrews praises for his faith. That's true. Abram was a man of faith. But you'll be encouraged to remember that Abram's faith wasn't always strong and automatic. He stumbled along the way. His faith wavered and weakened. Now, it's not that we want to see a man like Abram fail. It's not that we want to see him not have faith and sin. It's that we want to know that people of weak and wavering faith can know God and receive his promises too. Because so oftentimes that's what we're like. We're struggling to believe the promises of God and live in light of those promises. To show to the world that we're on God's team. I want to encourage you to listen to all the sermons in this series. Even if you miss a week, the gathering of this church, go back and listen to it online. Every episode in Abram's life fits together. Every part of this true story is important to understand what God was doing in Abram's life and what he wants to do in your life. Now, in chapter 12, God gave Abram great promises. He promised the blessing of descendants, of land and protection, and he promised to bless 
all of the families of the earth through Abram. And then in chapter 15, God approached Abram and expanded his description of those promises of descendants and of land. And in that chapter, Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And then God guaranteed the promises himself by performing a covenant-cutting ceremony with Abram simply witnessing it, watching God walk through these animals that had been slain and split apart, God was saying to Abram, I'm going to make sure that these promises are fulfilled. It's on me. The emphasis was God's guarantee. And then last week in chapter 16, Abram and Sarai stumbled in their faith and tried to get a son in their own way. Sarai had not been able to have children, so instead she gave her maidservant Hagar to Abram as a second wife, And Hagar gave birth to a son, Ishmael. Now, this was not God's plan. But God was gracious, and God rescued Hagar, the pregnant Hagar, as Sarai had sent her away from the camp and out into the desert. But it didn't erase Abram's faithless mistake. Hagar and Ishmael were ultimately there to stay. Now, as we enter into chapter 17, it's 13 years later, and still there are no children that have been born to Sarai. And God comes to Abram again and further expands his description of the promises. But where chapter 15 emphasized God's guaranteed fulfillment of the covenant promises, now the emphasis is on Abram's need to obey the covenant commands to show that he trusts God. Follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. 
Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house Those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, despite... Abraham and Sarah's disobedience, God continues to guarantee to keep his spectacular promises to them. And as we think about this entire text, you can sum it up in one sentence. Show faith in God's covenant promises by obeying God's commands. Show faith in God's covenant promises by obeying God's commands. So the outline of the sermon this afternoon is two points, covenant promises, covenant commands. Well, we see here at the very beginning of our passage that God is able to keep those promises beginning with the way that he announces himself to Abram in verse 1. He says to Abram, I am God Almighty. So the Hebrew here is the name El Shaddai. This is a new name that God is announcing himself by. He's saying, I'm the God who can do all things. I'm the God who can do anything I want to do. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God will announce himself as El Shaddai, particularly when his people are weak and hard-pressed, when they, when they see no way out of what looks like an impossible situation. He's reminding them of something. And that's exactly what Abram and Sarai are facing here. They have the promise of descendants and land, but Sarai is old and hasn't conceived, and the land is filled with many, many other powerful nations. 
The only way that God's promises could still come to pass were if God could do the impossible. What an encouragement God's name must have been to Abram. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. It would have been a constant reminder that God can do all things, that this God is infinitely powerful. Now, this is the same God that we serve, brothers and sisters. God Almighty, the one who can save sinners and bring all of history to the exact outcome that He has planned and determined. The one who can create anything out of nothing. The one who can bring order out of chaos. This is our God, God Almighty. Think about that, brothers and sisters, when you face difficult or impossible situations. Remind yourselves that He is El Shaddai. Now, for just a moment, we're going to skip over the commands that God gives Abram in the rest of verse 1, and we're going to survey the promises that God restates and expands for Abram. So there in verses 2 through 8, God continues to unfold the promises with some new twists, some new descriptions. He goes on to tell Abram that there's going to be many nations that come from him, not just a multitude of people. He's telling him that Abram's going to have a new name. There are going to be promised kings from Abraham. And there's going to be an everlasting covenant. In response to God's introduction of himself, Abram falls on his face. Of course, he's honoring God with his worship and his reverence. And then in verse 4, he promises... God promises many nations will come from Abram. In the past, he's promised a multitude of people. But now he's promising exponentially more. You know, it was one thing for Abram to believe that God could give him descendants like the stars of the sky or the dust on the earth. That's the kind of terminology that God has described his promise with in past chapters. But now he knows they'll form actual nations. And of course, all of this is promised from God with the backdrop of the rebellious nations of chapters 10 and 11 in Genesis. Abram is God's answer to the chaos of the sinful nations of the earth. He's creating a new people, a new humanity through Abraham. And then God gives Abram a new name as well. Abram means exalted father, But Abraham means father of nations. From the first few pages of Genesis, God has named things based on his authority over them. And now he's renaming Abraham based on the promises that he's guaranteed. It will happen, God is saying, through this renaming of Abraham. It will happen because he's God Almighty. He's El Shaddai. He can bring it to pass. And then in verse 6, God promises kings will come from Abraham. Now, Adam and Eve were created by God to multiply and be literally a king and queen, having rule and dominion over what God had created. That's the kind of terminology that God had used with Adam and Eve in the garden. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve failed to rule as God had commanded. They disobeyed. So now God is promising rulers will come from Abraham, God's rulers, through God's man. And lastly, 
God calls his covenant with Abraham everlasting. An everlasting covenant with Abraham and his offspring. It's not going to end. It will never end. And the land for them will be an everlasting possession, he promises. God ends the unveiling of these expanded promises with a resounding statement, I will be their God. Abraham is the new Adam that God has chosen. God had set Adam on the earth, but Adam failed. God had chosen Noah after the flood, but Noah failed. And now God has chosen Abraham to create a new humanity which would honor and obey him all throughout the earth. Of course, a new Adam needs a new Eve. So we need to skip down to verses 16 through 21 where we see God's promises expanded even further and these focus on Sarai. We see in these verses about Sarai that she receives a new name, that she's promised many nations, that she's promised kings will come from her. And specifically, we see that she's promised a miracle son. In addition, blessings for Ishmael will be there. So God gives first a new name to Sarah. Sarah means princess. Princess. Sarah is going to be a princess, and kings will come from her. And then the incredible is stated by God in verse 16. I will bless her, her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. 90-year-old Sarah. Many nations will come from her, God says. Even kings are promised to her, just as they were to Abraham. And all of this, even though she's barren, She's way past the time in life when a woman could give birth. Now, at that pronouncement, (laughs) Abram's faith is stretched. Again, he falls on his face before God, only this time he's falling on his face in laughter. How could a son come through Sarah? How in the world could that happen? Look again at verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? (laughs) Abraham thinks that it's too hard for God Almighty. This is one step too far for God. And so he pleads that Ishmael might be the son that the covenant promises are given to. No, says God. A son will come from Sarah next year, in fact, and you will name him Isaac, which means he laughs. (laughs) Named after Abraham's response. But Ishmael isn't forgotten. God has heard Abraham's prayer for Ishmael as well, and so God promises blessing for him. He will become a great nation. Twelve princes will come from him, and God will make a multitude come from him. But God would establish His everlasting covenant with Isaac. Do you see how bountiful God's promises are? They just keep unfolding. We're seeing them be unveiled chapter after chapter, unfolded chapter after chapter. If you're not a Christian, I wonder how you feel about people that make promises to you. Like many of us, maybe you've experienced what it's like to have someone make promises to you and then they break them. 
Sometimes that's been maybe an employer for some of you. Or maybe a friend, even a trusted friend. Sadly, many of us have parents who have broken promises that they've made to us. That's perhaps the hardest thing to take. Those that we need to depend on most fail to keep their promises sometimes. Even we fail to keep our promises. It's no wonder that we're often cynical then and distrusting of the people around us, even one another in the church. Someone makes a promise, and for some of you, the natural response inside is to think, hey, what's the catch? I wonder when this person is going to show their true colors and they're going to fail me. But here in this God, this God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the God who never changes, who never lies, who is making the most impossible promises of all, we have a God who will keep His promises. He'll never break them. And all of these promises are meant to be everlasting and to have worldwide impact. Everlasting covenant promises that guarantee blessings for all the families of the earth. I wonder, do you feel cynical toward God and His promises? Do you wonder if this is possible? Do you feel like maybe if you were Abraham, you'd fall down laughing to yourself? 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, after the coming of Jesus Christ, these promises of God would be fulfilled in Jesus 2,000 years after Abraham. The gospel is the good news that although we've sinned against God and deserve His wrath and His eternal punishment, He's shown mercy and love to us by sending His Son, the promised Son of the Father. Fully God and fully man, and yet He was without sin. He was crucified in our place and raised so that we might be declared righteous through our faith in Him, our trust in Him. Have you trusted in the one who is the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises? God has kept His promises from 4,000 years ago and He continues to keep His promises. Will you believe in this God of promises? Will you repent of your sin and trust in the one that He sent? in order to receive the eternal life that He offers. And through this gospel, this gospel, this good news that comes to us from God, we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. The one whom Paul said in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those worldwide promises that were meant to come through Abraham have come to us in Jesus. Now Isaac was the miracle child that was born to Sarah and Abraham, but Jesus was the future king that would one day come through their descendants. Isaac's birth was miraculous, but Jesus was even more so. Isaac was born to an old lady, but Jesus was born to a virgin. In Christ, the nations have gained access to God Almighty. And as the gospel has gone out throughout the world, the nations have poured into the kingdom of God. 
And every believer who trusts in him, who trusts in this King of kings and Lord of lords, becomes a son or a daughter of the king. We, then, are the future rulers of the new heavens and the new earth under the glorious rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who trusts in Christ is a spiritual descendant, a spiritual offspring of Abraham who trusted in God's great, spectacular promises. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Do you share the faith of Abraham in the promises of God? The promises of God that have now become the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't doubt this God of promise. His word is true. His promises are sure for you and I. Well, God restates and expands His promises to Abraham and Sarah, but He also gives commands. You see, obedience is required to gain access to the promises. And so our second point this afternoon is covenant commands. Obey God's covenant commands. We saw how God introduced Himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, God Almighty, in verse 1. But God doesn't start, stop there. He quickly shifts the attention to Abraham's responsibility in this covenant relationship. Look back at verse 1 with me. God goes on after he introduces himself to say, Walk before me and be blameless. It's as if God is responding to the mistakes of Abraham and Sarai 13 years ago and the family chaos that came about because Abram listened to Sarai and took Hagar as a second wife. To walk before God meant that Abram was to represent God on earth. Abram is God's ambassador, therefore. Just like an ambassador from one country represents the country inside of that country, Abram was to represent God on the earth. If you meet an ambassador from a particular country and you're not impressed with the character of that ambassador, it will reflect poorly on the country he or she comes from. Abram was to represent God before the nations of the earth. When the people around Abram saw his life, they would know something about God's character. Brothers and sisters, this is a command that applies to every Christian today as well. Just like Abram, we're to walk before God. We're to represent Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, we are ambassadors for Christ, literally. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be homely and blameless before Him. Holy and blameless. 
The salvation we gained by believing in God's promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to us for a purpose so that we might walk blamelessly before God. What do the people around you know about God based on your life? What do they see in you of your God? Are you fighting for moral purity? If you're not fighting sin, sin will win. Now, God continues in verses 2 through 8 to recount and expand on those promises. We covered that earlier. But I want to go on to what God continues to require of Abraham in verses 9 and onward. Look with me at verse 9 to begin with, 9 and 10. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Abram and all the men in his household, which numbered in the hundreds, whether servants bought or born in his house, they were to be circumcised. Circumcision is the cutting off of the foreskin of a man's genitals, It would have been unknown in Abram's cultural heritage, but common actually in Egyptian culture where temple priests were circumcised to set them apart for the priesthood. And so, in effect, Abram is being called to set apart his whole clan as priests to God Almighty. They're to be consecrated to God. And whenever a new baby boy was born into his household... On the eighth day, that child was to be circumcised. Circumcision symboled that they and any females in the family that they belonged to were in God's covenant community. It was a sign that they were included. It was their team jersey, so to speak. They belonged. They received all the benefits of being in that community, and they accepted all the responsibilities as well. What if, the some, if someone in the clan decided they didn't want the sign of the covenant? Well, look again with me at verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, if you didn't have the sign, you couldn't enjoy membership in the covenant community. You couldn't receive the benefits of those covenant promises that we explored all throughout the verses already. Now, circumcision might still be performed on some baby boys today, but it's not a requirement that men who become Christians be circumcised. Why is that? Well, from this time in the Scriptures onward, all men who would be descendants of Abraham, who were Hebrews, and all those in their households, whether slaves or children of the Jewish men, would be circumcised. But that outward sign on their bodies was meant to show their internal trust in God's promises. It was to show their faith by a mark on their bodies. But faith, of course, we know is ultimately shown in obedience to God. No one can point to their faith except by their obedience. Time and time again, Abram's descendants of course, would fail to obey, just like Abram himself. 
Their bodies were circumcised, but their hearts were not. And so, hundreds of years later, Moses would speak to the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, which numbered in the millions, who had been rescued from Egypt by the sovereign hand of God and the leadership of Moses, and he would say to them in the book of Deuteronomy, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Likewise, the prophets over and over again called on Israel to not just circumcise their skin, but their hearts as well. Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And then before Jesus came, John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to the Jews and anyone else who would listen. All the Jews And those who would come to them and pledge their allegiance to their God would be circumcised. And by that, they had the mark of inclusion in the covenant community. But here comes John the Baptist offering water baptism, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And thousands of Jews whose bodies were already circumcised went to him to be baptized in water because their hearts were convicted of their sin. They knew that their lives didn't match up with the mark on their bodies that symbolized how they should live. Jesus himself had been circumcised on the eighth day, and he was baptized as well. And then after his death and his resurrection, Jesus commanded his apostles to go to make disciples of all the nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection had cut a new covenant between God and man. And that new covenant was a fulfillment of all that the covenant with Abram promised, and yet it was even better. The sign of being a part of Jesus' new covenant community then became water baptism rather than circumcision. A new covenant requires a new sign. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Him, have you been baptized in obedience to Jesus? Have you put that team jersey on as a member of the new covenant community? Baptism is the external sign of God's saving work in your life. When Peter preached to the crowds of thousands on the day of Pentecost, they were convicted of their sin and convinced that Jesus was the Lord. And when they asked Peter what they should do, he told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. God still calls you and I to be obedient, to take on the sign of our membership in the covenant community. If you've not been baptized in obedience to Christ's covenant command, come and talk to myself or talk to one of the elders of this church. We want to help you walk in obedience to Christ. But we have to go further in our explanation of baptism as a commanded sign of the new covenant, don't we? 
Some churches, of course, true churches that preach a true gospel, baptize not only adults who convert to Christianity, but also infants. They read the Old Testament passages like this one, this very one, and they understand that children of believers should be baptized. But some churches, like ours, only baptize people who are able to profess Christ, only those who are able to demonstrate that they've repented and trusted in Christ. Why do we only baptize young adults or those older who are professing Christians? And why do we only allow church membership for those who were baptized after professing their faith in Christ? Well, the answer is that the new covenant brought about by Jesus has some important differences when compared to God's covenant with Abraham. Where the old covenant with Abraham couldn't guarantee a circumcised heart, the new covenant in Jesus does. The prophet Ezekiel spoke about this new covenant that Jesus would usher in and that God would make with His people through Christ. He says in, through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Paul wrote to the Colossian church, and we read it earlier in your bulletins. In him, Jesus, also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands." What the old covenant with Abram didn't guarantee for the Israelites, the new covenant accomplishes when Christ circumcises our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, in a very real way, circumcision is still carried out on every member of the new covenant community. <laughs> Only now that sign that was made in their flesh under the old covenant with Abram is now made in our hearts by Christ's Spirit under the new covenant. The covenant with Abram would create a physical nation through natural birth, but the new covenant in Jesus creates a spiritual nation through spiritual birth. And so now we apply the covenant sign of baptism to men and women and only to those who are members of the new covenant through repentance and faith in Christ, those who have been circumcised in their hearts by Christ. Those are the hearts Christ circumcises. Those whose hearts Christ circumcises, we baptize. You see, the old covenant was guaranteed by God. He would carry it out no matter what. The promises would be fulfilled. But the covenant also demanded complete and total obedience. We don't have to look at Israel to wonder how it's possible that both conditions are fulfilled, do we? 
Israel failed time and time and time again, just like we have. And so God in His mercy sent His Son of the Covenant, Jesus Christ, who walked before God with complete and unfailing blamelessness. Praise God for Jesus. Well, we haven't looked at the very end of this passage. How did Abraham respond to this command to obey the covenant requirements? In verses 23 through 27, Abram immediately circumcises himself and his entire household. Hundreds of men were circumcised, it says, twice on that very day. This is the evidence of Abraham's faith. He was showing forth his faith in these great promises of God through his obedience to the covenant commands. And so should we, brothers and sisters. We should live in obedience to Christ. We should live in obedience to His Word. We should be searching the Scriptures with tender hearts day in and day out, ready with our circumcised hearts to respond in repentance and faith. Jesus kept the covenant perfectly so that all who trust in Him are counted as blameless. And we're then gifted with His righteousness. We're then filled with the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and enables us to walk in obedience to God's commands, something that we could never do so before on our own. The unconditional promises of God are kept by Jesus. The conditional commands of God are kept by Jesus. And so now we show our faith in God's covenant promises, His gospel promises, by obeying His gospel commands. We put on the team jersey. We walk as Abraham walked. We walk as Jesus walked as best we can in the power of the Spirit. To show forth to the world who, whose we are and who offers eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You that You have given us Your Son. We praise You that You unconditionally promised to fulfill the requirements of the covenant, to meet the demands of the very commands that You would give. Oh Lord, we praise You that You've done this in Christ. We praise You that You've kept Your end of the bargain and our end of the bargain as well. We praise you for Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us walk in obedience to your commands in order to show forth to the world whose we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.